I don't want a perfect character. I want a character who has, as strange as it sounds, some humanity, some flaws, some needs. Nicolas Cage. Stating the obvious. No, really, who but Nicolas Cage should say something so banal and really think that he was saying something profound? I'm, I'm sorry, this is Save versus Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about Mary Sue in Pants. Um, John, is, is that a prog rock band I need to know about? No, no, no. Uh, Mary Sue is a concept within fandom communities and it typically refers to a character who is too perfect. They're too good at something. They're too amazing. They break reader disbelief by being too amazing and too over the top. Now, uh, you can pull up a definition of Mary Sue. It looks like you're doing that right now. Go ahead and give that to us. Let's see. Mary Sue has always been connected to the Star Trek community. She comes from an actual character named Mary Sue and created in a Star Trek parody fan fiction story called A Trekker's Tale. By Paula Smith in 1974. Yeah, it's been around for a while. Now, tell us about the character of Mary Sue. Let's see. She was the youngest lieutenant in the fleet, only 15 and a half years old. The perfect young prodigy. Oh my god, this sounds insufferable. Yeah, exactly. That's a Mary Sue character. Mary Sue characters are characters that are able to achieve impossible feats. They're overly loved by other characters, often despite annoying or difficult personalities or lack of personality at that and furthermore they tend to be over the top on beauty or attractiveness or maybe just so ugly that they're fascinating the characters are always interesting centers of attention that overshadow everything else and most importantly a mary sue character almost always achieves what they do without undergoing any sort of hero's journey they just accomplish great feats because that's what they exist to do. They don't have to fight for it. They don't have to work for it. They just do it. It sounds like Mary Sue's are basically everyone's first character. Just kind of a personification of themselves, but all of their major abilities amped up to the extreme and to the absolute perfection. Well, you're mostly thinking of pants there, actually. Now, pants is a term that was coined by uh, the oatmeal. The oatmeal, of course, being the moniker of web superstar Matthew Inman. Now, in Inman's review of Twilight, he referred to the main character, Bella, as pants, saying that she was a character that could just be put on. She was an empty shell that just had these traits to her that were all these rainbow traits, these things that everyone who underwent puberty could experience and relate to. Her only traits were relatability and the ability of the reader to put themselves in her shoes. Everything else was abstract. She was beautiful in the center of attention. What made her beautiful or the center of attention? Not really well explained, but those were traits for the reader to absorb. The reader themselves poured themselves into Bella. So a lot of us made our first character as a pants character. Now... A lot of us made our first characters, and we made our character to be us, okay? My first character was John the Hunter. He was this awesome ranger with a bow, and he had magic, and he was this, this outdoor prodigy that could, you know, track anything over any terrain, you know, track the movements of a hare over a completely 
dustless rocky surface just based on the scuff marks left on the rock. I mean, he was just the proto-Ur Ranger, but ultimately, he was just me. It was just me making a character. I was very young at the time, didn't really have any defining traits other than it was me as an awesome ranger. Ah, my first character was a guy named Carlos McDub. It was a, it was an obvious fake name for my bard character. It wasn't really me, though. I was just trying to have a one-note joke and play this character up. We had very different childhoods, and I accept that. But ultimately, a lot of people do that. They make their first character as just them. Just them with powers. Just them with abilities. Just them with heroic traits. The traits of the game. Be it they're a vampire, or they're a knight, or they're a ranger, or they're a wizard. It's just them as that. So let's let's break this topic down into its two constituent parts. The Mary Sue and the Pants. I think that... Uh, for Mary Sue, we'll focus that more toward the DMs, and for Pants, we'll focus that more toward players. So, because the DMs are, in fact, more important than everyone else, we'll start with the DM PC and their particular type of Mary Sue-ness. Full disclosure, we are both DMs, just in case you forgot that. The DM PC is the stereotypical DM Mary Sue character there often immortal, super powerful, they travel with the party, and can always get them out of every scrape. This is bad. This is super bad. They're immortal, and that can be figurative or literal. It means that they don't die. They cannot die. Player characters risk death at every turn. In most games, player characters are always at risk of being killed in an encounter, or even by an unlucky uh, twist of fate. You know, they might be traveling and fall off a cliff. They might, anything could happen to them. The DMPC is immune to all of this. Nothing can kill them, either because they are literally immortal and they will bounce back from any injury, or because they have a degree of plot armor that makes it so that even if something should wipe them out, they will always get out of it and always survive. The second major trait of DMPCs is, of course, that they're special. They have special equipment, they have special items, they have special powers that only they have. And they cannot be taken away from them or limited in any way. Yeah, if you're the party rogue, don't try and take the magic sword of the DMPC. It will not end well for you. He'll wake up in the middle of the night, cut your head off, and his alignment won't change at all. Yeah, what he did was totally justified because you were taking his special something. Similarly, their special powers are often not limited or are only limited by some trait that doesn't come up or that comes up only at a moment that's inconvenient for the party, not for the character. Uh, and the third and the worst part of this is they travel with the party. They they babysit the party, or even worse, they're the, they're the stick that's forcing the characters to go forward. Oh, go forward or I'll kill you. You know what? We've been go- going at this for three months. You might as well just kill us. Yeah, ultimately, the problem with a DMPC is that it's a character that overshadows the party. All of these traits can overshadow your player characters. Them being immortal makes the player characters being mortal so mundane and weak. It means that your characters are more vulnerable than the NPCs. Them having special loot and powers makes them so much more special than the characters. If they have a super signature weapon or signature ability that player characters don't have access to, That makes them more interesting than the party in that sense. And most importantly, if they travel with the party, the player characters can't get away from that. Now look, every fantasy setting has characters that are very powerful or very important. And almost everyone will have characters that are just plain more powerful than your player characters at every step of their progress. 
There's always going to be 20th level wizards, or there's always going to be great elder vampires, or something like that. There's always going to be Gandalf the Grey that spurs you on toward adventure. But he sends you on and then goes off for his own wizardly purposes. Even if he does travel with the party for a little while, eventually the party breaks up and the weak hobbits go off on their own. Because that's what makes for an interesting story for your player characters, the weak hobbits. Because if Gandalf the Grey can solve every issue for them, ultimately there's no reason for the player characters to do any of what they do. You have to have that divide. It's okay to have characters that are powerful, special, even in your estimation more interesting than the player characters. But they have to be characters tied to a location or removed from the party in some way where they can't just be the solution to every problem. An example of a character who is super ultra mega powerful but doesn't overshadow the party comes from the Curse of Strahd. Spoilers ahead. Now, this is a 5th edition module that is the newest iteration of the Ravenloft campaign setting, and it's really good. I highly suggest you play it if you can. But if you're just going to listen to us and have the story spoiled for you, good for you. In it, there is a mad mage way off to the north section of the land of Barovia. The mad mage can be overcome and have his mind cleared. If that happens, it is revealed that he is the great and powerful wizard Mordenkainen from Oerth. Interestingly, one of Gary Gygax's personal characters. This NPC can cast 9th level spells and often talks about, Oh, my great friend Elminster. Oh, did I tell you about how I did this? He is the prototypical DMPC to a T. But he goes, I'll, I'll travel with you to take on Strahd. I'll wait in the town of Barovia over here. You go on and do what you have to do, and when you're ready to face him, come find me. This turns him into a resource for the party instead of merely a character that overshadows them at every turn. Finding Mordenkainen and releasing him from his madness does not break the game. It doesn't make it so that you can't play on your own terms anymore. Mordenkainen becomes a resource that you can bring with you to the hardest boss battle of the game. It gives you the opportunity to use him as a way of making a very difficult battle less difficult. But at the same time, he remains a resource for the party even before that. He still hangs out. You can still talk to him. You can still take your problems to him. But he's not just going to solve everything for you. He has his own agenda and his own business to attend to before the fight. So he's going to be a character that is available to you without overshadowing you, even though he is almost certainly going to be more powerful than the party all the way to the end. That is a good use of a powerful character that doesn't break it. Another example, I believe, comes from Wrath of the Righteous. In Wrath of the Righteous, as I've mentioned before, the queen of the land of Mendev, Galfrey, is a 14th level paladin. She entrusts the characters to retake an old keep. She is mostly needed on the front line. She has to go to the front line and inspire the troops. She could easily go and take this keep back, but instead she's entrusting the characters to do it so that way she's not taking her considerable power away from the front line of this war. Which is a rational reason for a powerful character to not want to waste their resources on something that is easily beneath them. It becomes an issue of allocation of resources. You have this situation where this character is more useful on their own in this situation. 
which gives the player characters an opportunity to feel like they belong to a world, that they belong to a cause. They become part of an army. They become part of this rebellion that's trying to fight against these uh, demon lords. The thing is, this gives them a plausible reason to fit into the setting without being the most powerful characters, but still being important in their own right in a way that makes them matter to the campaign. That, again, is good use of a character who is both more powerful and possibly more interesting than a lot of the main characters. She's special. You know, she's the queen. That's a big deal. She's got power. She's got special things about her. It's okay because she doesn't travel with the characters. That's why traveling with the player characters is one of the most difficult things to pull off without overshadowing the characters. Now, all of this is important for the DM to remember. But on the player side of it, you have to have an interesting character that is worthy of being the main character of the story. Um, an interesting thing, uh, we're talking about pants now, characters that you just slip yourself into. This is a really big thing in the Sonic the Hedgehog fandom community. While, while we were looking this up, while we were researching this episode, I found this interesting little tidbit. If, apparently, if you put your first name and the hedgehog into Google Image Search, you can find a custom character directly made to be super powerful and awesome. Uh, let, let's wait, do that. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Okay, so I would put John the Hedgehog? Yeah. Okay, sorry, just give me a second. John, hedgehog... And images. Okay. All right. So right off the bat, I've got. Uh, oh, yep. There it is. Uh, there is like a hedgehog guy. He's got like uh, Sephiroth hair in addition to the hedgehog spiny hair, and he's wearing a black trench coat like Dante from Devil May Cry with uh, looks like a pentagram on it, and uh, of course red accents. And oh, okay. There's him showing off his beach bot in a speedo because of course it's the. It's the Sonic the Hedgehog fandom, and oh, oh, here's here's another John the Hedgehog. Um, his oh, it's it's got like a stat sheet for him. First, he's this blue hedgehog, kind of like Sonic, but his hair is moppy without any spikiness to it. Which for a hedgehog, and that that doesn't really make sense for a hedgehog because they're all spiny, right? You know, so so John the Hedgehog is age immortal, which is an age now, by the way. Okay, apparently, <laughs> his element is water. I'm not okay. Powers can cause tidal waves even if there is no water present. Like, okay. does that mean the the land roils up as a giant? Tidal I, I, think, wave I think it from... makes water appear. I think because it's his element. His element is water. Uh, his alignment is good. His job is guardian of the blue emerald because. Emeralds come in a lot of colors. I... In the Sonic the Hedgehog games, they do. Just don't, okay, don't okay. ask about and it. And his formation is speed. I actually, I, I really can't, I really can't even speculate about what that means. Formation. It, it says formation, speed. That's that's his formation. Okay, what'd you get with Jeremy the Hedgehog? Okay, let's see, Jeremy the. I don't know what I was expecting. I found a picture of Ron Jeremy, whose poor nickname is The Hedgehog. The hedge- oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Okay, no, but... Okay, so the point remains, though. <laughs> so, okay, let, let, let's get back on right. topic here. Pants. Uh, wh- what are the defining characteristics of pants characters? Pants characters are only ever going to have traits that are supernatural special... 
the traits that make them amazing. You know, maybe they have delicious blood that vampires are drawn to or something like that. Something supernatural or super special or something beyond the normal. But then beyond that, they only have traits that are super relatable. Traits that everyone has. Rainbow traits. Traits like they're shy until they make friends or... They're uh, awkward and have difficulty uh, relating to people. So, you know, everybody kind of went through that phase. Everybody who went through puberty remembers having an awkward phase. So if we have a teenage character who is awkward, that's everybody. So a pants character is mostly just a placeholder for yourself in this game. Yes, it's, it's a little bit different from what's called an audience surrogate, where the character exists to give us exposition or otherwise give us a reason for characters to discuss things. Oh, you mean like Wesley Crusher in the pilot of Star Trek The Next Generation? Yeah, where, where maybe people would be talking about engineering and um, he's he exists to ask the questions the audience would ask in his position, like, what does it mean to reverse the polarity? Because two engineers aren't actually going to talk about that. That's an audience surrogate. That's a character that exists to give us exposition so that we can understand things better in a way that's more organic. What we're talking about is a pants character that exists so that the audience can self-insert to the story, you know, so they can be the guy. Most players, their first character is just a self-insert pants character. This is Jeremy. This is John. This is how we get introduced to role-playing. It ends up being you in a different situation, which is a good introduction to role-playing. It's an okay way to start, and in some campaigns, it even just works. Some campaigns are about that. I ran a campaign once that was nothing but the character self-inserted into the world of darkness. That was what we set out to do. It was literally, let's play ourselves in the world of darkness. You run the game, John. And it was a really interesting game. It started branching off into spin-off games, though, and at that point, we started making characters that were more fleshed out and interesting and different from us. Characters that weren't just pants for us. And as we age as gamers, as we age as role players, we often want characters who are more than just ourselves. We want to have an interesting character. We want to have a character who could have a novel written about them. We want to start playing these flaws, start playing these great abilities that they have, start delving into the backstory. What happened to this character? Well, they were orphaned. Okay, every adventurer was orphaned. Let's try again. Uh, what happened? Well, my character's a half-orc, which means that my father, okay, I don't care about that. Let's let's just keep going on. But we, we eventually delve and create interesting characters that are actually different and unique and our own personal characters who aren't just us. We, we want to create characters that we would want to see on TV or in a story. We want to have that resonance with them. And that's where you start avoiding these pants tropes, where you start wanting to make characters that have substance to them. And we generally recommend in role-playing games that you do make characters with substance to them, that you make characters that are interesting, memorable, and bring something to the game other than just a stat block that you can play off. Role-playing as a hobby has shifted a lot more in modern times away from just a rule set for playing out miniature war games to a way of experiencing collaborative storytelling. And most games now are built around some form of collaborative storytelling. My personal recommendation for anyone who's trying to make an interesting and detailed character, make three points. Two two positive abilities and one negative ability. 
pick two things about your character that you can really build and latch onto. I once had a character named Stradio, who was a master sailor, and in combat, he took a more pacifistic uh, approach and broke people's weapons as opposed to just flat-out killing them. His downside was he wasn't especially charismatic, and he actually was pretty gullible. He had a wisdom seven. Which makes it interesting that the uh, party ended up voting him captain when they finally took over a ship, but, you know, hey, to each his own. I think that has more to do with me being a person who can be interesting and lead a party more than my character actually doing that. But yeah, the point being that it was a character that was memorable. Everyone remembers Stradio to some degree or another. Everyone tends to remember Jeremy's characters because Jeremy's characters have these qualities about them that make them an interesting character without being over the top or ridiculous, without breaking well some of them are over the top and ridiculous but without breaking our suspense of disbelief they fit into the setting and they have these interesting qualities to them both positive and negative that help us remember and relate to the characters uh john you once had a character named skibniferous nasocletes yes skibniferous the kobold now skib's major qualities was that he was evil he was affably evil and like hand-wringingly amusingly evil, but still out for the benefit of those that he deemed to be part of his inner circle. That was his character, and he had that as a characterization that was obvious to everyone. He was also something of a coward, but not to the extent that he would break up party cohesion, just to the extent that he would avoid dangerous situations and warn the party off avoiding dangerous situations. Also, memorably, you had a very interesting voice for this character. Something that, even though it's been years and years and years and years and years, I can still remember to a T. Yeah, it still comes up from time to time. People are like, oh, Skib, that's how Skib talked. Yeah, yeah, Skib. Uh, based vaguely off Meatwad, I have to admit, should be pretty obvious, but uh, I just pictured Kobolds as having kind of a weird uh, sort of nasally a choky voice, and I decided that I wanted to have this character with this ridiculous vocalization. Now, again, it wasn't really about overshadowing everyone or showing everyone up. A lot of the characters in that game were interesting. I mean, Jeremy's character... Chandre. Chandre Blunderbuss. The monk with the explosive kick. Yeah, he was was, uh, just a leaping kick of death all the time. It was amazing. Fun times. But... Uh, different characters. Uh, Vicky's character was a uh, chaotic good drow. Okay, well, you know, I'm not saying that that's kind of a cliche, but it is kind of a cliche. But the character was interesting. She had a cheerful disposition, despite being a uh, despite being a worshipper of the drow goddess, and she wanted to help everyone. Despite you know, she was she was kind of a uh, oh was, my god, she was a Mary Sue. <laughs> shut up. She okay, was yeah. totally a Mary Sue. <laughs> she was she was a perky goth type Mary Sue. Yeah, okay. No, I'll, I'll concede it. But she, she was kind of a memorable character, and I enjoyed playing with her, you know? And Casey's character was a drunken master uh, who was brooding and mopey, despite the fact that he would be cheerful and happy when he was drinking. I mean, these characters just kind of resonated with us. It was a fun game, and the characters were interesting. And that's what made the characters interesting, was that they had both positive qualities and flaws that we could all relate to that we all re- that resonated with us to the point where we remember this game it was it was a fun cool game okay now here at say versus rant we often uh, 
put our best foot forward. You know, this is our podcast. We're trying to portray ourselves as experts and people who know what they're doing. But we've got some pretty embarrassing stories from our past where we made these exact mistakes. We had DMPCs. We had uh, Mary Sue type characters. Uh, we, we aren't telling you all these things just because we're giving you dictates from on high. This is... All, all of these are things that we've learned through trial and error, and we're just trying to help you along. Right. Ultimately, we've made a lot of mistakes along the way, and we feel that the best way to learn is not to make those mistakes yourself, but to learn from mistakes, both yours and other people's. So, we're trying to tell you what pitfalls to avoid. Now... Okay, now back back when I very first started uh, running games, I was running a second edition campaign set in Dragonlance, and for whatever reason, there was an NPC who was a character that had been friends with one of the player characters. Now, this character was an elven bodyguard to the elven prince, and which was also the background of that character. They had worked together. And he ended up adventuring with the party. Now, unbeknownst to the party, who was about 8th level, I decided to make this character 10th level and make them a really stand-up fighter who could just take on basically anything that would threaten the party. I thought that this was just going to be an amusing little Easter egg. Like, they wouldn't realize that this character that they viewed as kind of an annoying cohort that they took with them because of sentimental reasons turned out to be a better fighter than them. And more powerful than them. And they didn't even notice for a while until there was a scene where the group was flying on griffins away from uh, one of the major villainous NPCs. This was set in Dragonlance, so of course uh, we're talking about Lord Verminard, who was riding on a dragon, of course. So it's griffins and dragons. It was actually a pretty cool scene. That's not the point. The point is, this character's griffin got shot down, went to the ground, collided with the ground, and he kept running, okay? Now, I had rolled damage for this, but he still had plenty of hit points left because, of course, he was 10th level, he was big and powerful and all that. And they're all like, wait a freaking minute, what the heck is going on? And that's kind of when the beans spilled on this. And it, and then everyone was kind of annoyed. That I didn't understand why everyone was so annoyed by this, by by the fact that this character was... And they, start, they started him call, calling him the Divine Son of Paladine and stuff like that. And it just kind of, it kind of, you know, rubbed me the wrong way. And I didn't realize for years what I had done wrong with that character. Why that was an annoying thing that made the player characters feel belittled and weakened. And like they were less important to the story now. Now, I've had a number of characters that are pretty good, pretty fun, are remembered fondly. But I have a few rotten eggs in my basket. I think that my greatest my, my greatest shame is actually a character by the name of Stephen Blank. He was a Men in Black style anonymous figure who went along with a group of sky pirates in an alternate history pre-World War II-ish... It was an interesting setting, it really was. But this character, his whole agenda was to work out some strange personal agenda that even I didn't know. And my whole idea was, okay, I'm going to play this character and he's going to be kind of aggressive and abrasive to everyone. But he didn't have any endearing qualities, and he just ended up being all of the negative, horrible, nasty aspects of me. And as such, a number of the other players came up to me later and went, uh, Jeremy, are, are you mad at us? Are you, 
I, I mean, it feels like you're yelling at us when you're playing this character. I'm saying, no, 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 guys, I'm, I, I love you all so very much. I don't know why you're, but every time I would get into this character, I go, okay, we're going to do this. You, you over there, you stupid idiot. Why do you have you bothered me right now? I have secret clandestine plans that I am trying to fulfill, and ultimately that campaign kind of rolled to a stop, and I blame myself pretty pretty strongly for having this whole campaign end on the backs of a character that was just me self-inserting and being an ass. So we don't always do things right, and that's a big reason why we're doing this podcast, is that we want people to avoid the sort of pitfalls that we've fallen into, these sort of problems that can arise when you're not aware of these tropes, you're not aware of the way that things work with these situations, you know? I would have been better served by having the uh, lackey-type character be a henchman to the other character, someone who they could mentor and help as an aside to the party, and possibly someone that they could send off on an adventure of his own, completely separate from them, with the knowledge that they had put him in this situation, they had given him this opportunity to aid the cause without being uh, annexed to them. That would have made for a more interesting story and a more fun game altogether. And I would have been better served having Stephen Blank be a little bit more affable, be a little bit more meticulous, be a little bit more conniving. Instead of being annoyed by the other players and their need of his help, I would have been better served using them toward my own ends. I'll help you with this, but then could you help me with a little something? Which would have come off as evil and conniving, but definitely would have been better for the campaign overall. So ultimately, a big thing to think of is cohesion. Whether you're the DM or the player, you need to be able to keep a group cohesive. You need to be able to make sure that things stick together in a way that everyone enjoys, which ultimately is what gaming is all about. Everyone having a good time. Friends getting together and having good time with good friends. So let's start a little bit of the wrap-up. I think the biggest thing that we can say here for both the Mary Sue and the Pants, is to make the characters interesting. If you're the DM, make sure your characters have flaws. If you're the players, make sure your characters are powerful and have flaws. Make sure everything... Um, I read a book recently called Save the Cat. By Blake Snyder, yeah. Yes, by Blake Snyder. In it, he was talking about all of the side characters. Every character that's introduced that has any amount of influence on the plot should have a... Limp in an eye patch is what he called it. Everyone should have something that you can be, that you can latch onto. Every NPC should have an interesting quirk, and not just be a god Deus Ex Machina, super powerful Superman character. If you bothered to give your character a name, they should have something the player characters can hang a hat on. They should have a vocalization or a way of speaking. They should have something that lets you connect to the character. Same with your characters as a player. You need something to connect. They can't appear as a deus ex machina. They can't just pop into existence and be there. If you bother to give a character a name, you should give them some quirk, some quality that lets us relate to them in a meaningful way that makes them memorable enough to go on. All right, so what do we have next on the docket? It says... Eight flavors of fun. Are we talking about ice cream? Eight flavors of fun. Yes. Uh, 
No, it's not about ice cream, unfortunately. No, we're talking about the concept of fun and how to break it down scientifically into eight different concepts. And don't worry, we're not going to get too clinical about it. We're just going to introduce you to the idea of what makes things fun and why. All right. Once again, this has been Save versus Rant. Thank you very much for listening. Kim Collins once said, Strive for continuous improvement instead of perfection. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at SaveVsRant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.